gentlemen, welcome to episode five, episode five, the big old five. We're halfway there, Drew, halfway through the summer sports spectacular. For those of you who are new, this is going to be a big one for us because for the first time ever, we are recording live from Drew's basement. That's right. I'm Jordan Lorenz here with Drew Skyberg. Drew, in person, face to face. This is going to be interesting. Jordan, this is going to be very interesting. I'm looking forward to this. And I just think of in our future, maybe if we ever do a live podcast gig, this is a good start. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, we were we were working on it, guys. And then we, we got ghosted, as they say. So there will be no live show at blank. We won't, we won't say where. We won't disclose the location at this point. But hopefully in the future. Big Apple. Hey, Rockwood, I know you guys got a sports show there. I'm calling you out. Let's go. Jordan drew the sports crew live, if only, right? But... This isn't Jordan and Drew, the sports crew, the normal podcast. This is the Summer Sports Spectacular, episode five. As I said, we're halfway there. And today, we got our first taste of college basketball, the 1983-1984 NCAA Division I men's basketball season. Saw Georgetown and Houston make it to the finals of the March Madness Tournament. It is an interesting tournament. We're going to talk all about it. But before we get there. We've got some rule changes, and Drew, I'm going to have you read these bad boys. This first one, actually, they're both really interesting, but the first one really, really stands out. Yeah, it was, Jordan, and here's the first rule. If a team was in the bonus situation within the last two minutes of the game and all of overtime, common fouls resulted in two free throws. This rule has changed back to the one-on-one free throw situation after a month due to its unpopularity. And Jordan, what do you think of this rule? I, I just don't understand. What is the thinking process behind this? So you get fouled with under two minutes to go in the most crucial part of the game. This is when someone goes to the line in college, one and one. This is the big situation. Put all the pressure on them. If they make one, good. If they get a second, they deserve the second free throw. If they miss and they fold under the pressure, they don't get that second free throw. That's when you got to fight for a rebound. I don't understand why they would have shot two. Yeah, and I agree, Jordan, and I think in this game, especially the game we watched today, I think we saw a lot of free throws, and I can only imagine if there was the two free throw common foul rule implemented in this game. Way too many free throws. We'll get to it soon, but these refs, about as ticky-tacky as you can get. And something else we noticed in this game, there was no shot clock, or at least if there was one, it must have been like a minute long and they never mentioned it, but I certainly don't think there was a shot clock in this game. However, there was one experimented with. Yes, and here's the second rule, Jordan. Several conferences were granted permission to experiment with a 45-second shot clock for entire, either for the game, entire game or shut off in the last four minutes of the second half. The three-point shot then went from 19 feet, and coaching boxes were, were implemented to limit coaches to their bench areas. So that's like, I don't, the coaching box thing, I don't really get because like coaches are going to be wherever they want anyways. And like, that's whatever three point line. We got a lot to talk about when it comes to three pointers in the game, but this shot clock, I want to reread part of that either for the entire game or shut off in the last four minutes of the second half. Why would it be shut off for the last four minutes? That's like with the bonus situation. That's when you want the one-on-one situation to put the pressure on. You're telling me a team's going to hold the ball the final four minutes. Yeah, I, I don't understand the idea behind that. The NCAA made some horrible decisions in the 83-84 season, and I'm glad they were implemented and they were experimenting them because 
this would have been I'm glad I mean I'm glad the shot clock was they're working towards it, but a 45 second shot clock, really? I mean it's better than nothing at yeah. this point, but still that is oof. I don't know how many conferences used it and what what did and what didn't, I don't know. But and speaking of rules, I mean 53 team tournament. We'll talk all about it in a minute. The most wild March Madness of all time, I would have to say. We're gonna get to it, but first, coming into the season, who was the top team? Who was it, Drew? Of course, North Carolina Tar Heels, Jordan. Michael Jordan, unstoppable. I can't wait to read all the awards this dude got. I'm, he literally got every award. Like, there's no mistake about it. He's got every single one of them. The number two team was Kentucky. So you want to talk about teams that are always in the top, always doing well. Besides this past year in college basketball, Kentucky has been always up there. North Carolina one, Kentucky two. And then number three is Houston. And number four is Georgetown. So this Houston team was in three final fours in the past four years I believe something like that they were in back-to-back finals it was a very very good Houston team and they ended up making it back into the finals once again thankfully or not thankfully thanks to the leading rebounder per game in the whole division one who was it Drew? Akeem Olajuwon from Houston and we have a great story about Akeem Olajuwon um, we're going to talk about it right away here and the great story is his name here is spelled Akeem, A-K-E-E-M, not H-A-K-E-E-M. Not Hakeem, it's Akeem. And the reason being is we, we had to do some research because we were watching the game and we're like, what's going on here? Are they forgetting the H? Are they misspelling it? And did some research. And in 1991, um, there's a great story about it where he said, he is Akeem no more. He is now going to change his name back to Hakeem. It was originally Hakeem, and he immigrated from uh, – where was it, Jordan? Do you know? It was, oh, it was like boy. from like uh, – That's a good question. Well, he, he, he immigrated <laughs> back in, and then what happened was – Was it Nigeria? I think it was. It was somewhere from there. Somewhere around there. And um, they changed his name in the United States. They changed it from Hakeem – to to Akim and he never really changed his name they changed it for him so it's so then in America it was Nigeria by the way is what we've confirmed and then when that happened he he just when then when he went back to his home country of Nigeria uh his mom asked him always um why did you change your name and his mom was like "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh and you know when mama tells you something (laughs) you gotta change you better listen he said he is Hakeem no more he is now Hakeem which is his original name I mean it is a wild story like we never knew for sure and I also wanted to point out on the back of his jersey it said Hakeem it didn't say his last name it didn't say Olajuwon it said Hakeem A-K-E-E-M and thanks in part he got this team to the finals no doubt about it 67.5 percent shooting on the year absolutely remarkable leader in points per game was Joe Jakubic from Akron University he averaged over 30 a game 30.1 points per game so that's basically everything for these two teams or for the division I could say division one stats wise going now to the tournament itself this was I went on the Wikipedia page right away first sentence the 1984 NCAA division one men's basketball tournament involved 53 schools I was like Drew 53 like the 
this doesn't even add up. It doesn't make any sense. We know it's 64 or 68 nowadays, I should say, with the play-in games and stuff. But 53, like, what in the world is going on here? But we figured it out. We moved down, and we figured out that there was five different play-in games, Northeastern and Long Island, Richmond and Ryder, Moorhead State and North Carolina AT&T, Alcorn State and Houston Baptist, Princeton and San Diego all fought to get into this tournament. Four of those games determined the 12 seed and one determined an 11 seed, which is wild to me. Like, why? It makes no sense. Why are there five playing games in the first place? But then from here, there were four regionals. We had the East Regional, which was led by number one, North Carolina, the Midwest, led by number one, DePaul, Mideast, led by number one, Kentucky, and the West, led by number one, Georgetown. Interesting to note, Houston was not a one seed. They were the two seed in the Midwest Regional, so we'll talk about that in a minute. But each of these was eight teams, and Drew, can you explain how many teams got a buy? Because it was absolutely ridiculous. One seed, two seed, three seed, four seed, they all get a buy. That is ridiculous, Jordan, and I'm this is the seed tournament was so unique in itself. I was looking at the tournaments and how they were structured every year. And this tournament is the only tournament, the only March Madness tournament ever to be structured the way it was with the five plan games. And was it the 12, 12 first round buys that they were given? 16, four times four. Oh, 16. You said the one through four guys buys? Yeah. One through four. One through four. One through four and four regionals. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There's 16 buys then. That's ridiculous. And this this was the only one to ever have such um, ramifications in it. So that's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, but thankfully, right? I mean, who would want to see this? Like four, the one seed, two seed, three seed, four seed, all get buys in each of the regionals. Unbelievable stuff. So North Carolina, led by Michael Jordan, they lost in the Sweet 16 to Indiana, 72 to 68. And Indiana then lost to number seven, Virginia in the elite eight so absolutely wild stuff there i'm trying to look for some big upsets i mean 12 richmond beat number five auburn and obviously richmond had to play their way to get in louisiana tech the 10 seed beat the seven seed fresno state um it was number two houston getting out of this regional houston on their way to the finals beat louisiana tech 77 70 beat memphis state 78 71 and then beat Wake Forest 68-63. So they knocked off a 10 seed, a 6 seed, and a 4 seed. Then going to Kentucky side, number one Kentucky made it all the way to the final four. The only big upset here is number 11 West Virginia beating number six Oregon State 64-62. And then Georgetown side, number 10 Dayton made it all the way to the Elite Eight, thankfully, or not thankfully, sadly did not make it to the Final Four because Georgetown, they beat them. Listen to this. Georgetown beats SMU 37-36. to 36. Can you imagine watching that game? What is that? That's, that's a girls' basketball score, Jordan. And let me tell you, thankfully, none of their other games were like that, and the championship game was not low-scoring like that, so... I'm glad we didn't have a game like that because that would have been boring. And not, honestly, our game was boring enough down the stretch. Like it, it got kind of bad towards the end of it. Georgetown then beat UNLV, the five seed, 62-48. And then, like I said, Dayton, they win 61-49. to So our final four is set. Houston beats Virginia 49-47. Real close game there. And Georgetown beats Kentucky 53-40. to That wrapped things up, and we 
are heading to the championship game. 38,471 people filled up the kingdom in Seattle for this game. Drew, we turned the game on, watched the game together for the first time ever, live, in person. What were your thoughts right away as we turned this game on? I thought the crowd, Jordan, was electric. They were chanting the whole game. They were chanting airball during the free, th- free throws, no matter who was shooting. And I just thought the atmosphere was phenomenal. We'll talk about the play-by-play, guys. <laughs> but, Jordan, what did you think of them? Let's, let's go. Well, yeah, let's talk about them first as I open up my notes to figure out exactly who they were. But they were not good. Gary Bender and Billy Packer. So, Billy Packer, the color guy, I thought he sounded a lot like the guy who did NBA, but we looked up. He didn't. He's not the same guy. Gary Bender, I still have the tab open. This guy was all over the place, and we have to give him a shout-out. He started his career in Wisconsin. 1969 to 1975 was the sports director at WKOW-TV in Madison. Then he did Packer Radio play-by-play for five years, did one year of the Brewers play-by-play on TV. So, I mean, this dude was a sports director, radio play-by-play, TV play-by-play, and then did NFL on CBS. I don't know how he got that transition, but good for him to be able to do that. Color commentary, Billy Packer, not good. No. Just not good. He he was horrible, Jordan. Sometimes we, uh, we talked about during the game, he would just talk to talk. It wasn't even insightful. It was just like he was like, oh, I think he traveled, and then they go back to the replay. <laughs> oh, actually, look, there's, he's using his pivot foot. Clear fundamentals. Like, no way. And it was just. Oh, not a good color commentary outing for Mr. Packer. No, it really wasn't at all. But it was a good outing for Michael Young to start this game. He was three of three with six points as his team led eight to two. Houston was up early to start this game. They were five of five shooting to begin the game. And then things went a little downhill. Three straight turnovers started costing them a bit and two goaltends. And Drew, I think around this point, 14-14 game after the goal tens, after some of the fouls, we realized these refs, they're not letting anything slide in this game. We knew we were in for a long game. And spoiler, the game doesn't end reg- or the game does not go to overtime, but it felt like it was in a couple overtime game based on how many fouls were called, all these ticky tacky offensive fouls, even there were some that were interesting a technical foul that even occurred we'll get to that in a bit but there was just terrible calls and not a good not a good thing for the officials and jordan in episode four we mentioned that the officials were chosen by merit let me tell you these officials were not chosen by merit they volunteered or something this was tough yeah i don't know what was going on like you're in the championship game right the final game these two teams let them duke it out they didn't let anything slide i mean we'll talk about the technical in a bit maybe the craziest craziest call i've ever seen in my entire life and not in a good way i mean i was at the bucks game one we talked about it bucks and hawks the foul on pat connington this technical foul a hundred times worse like it's not even close how bad this call was but moving forward in the game georgetown has their first lead of the game it's 18 16 but we noticed this Georgetown team does everything around their big men. They can't shoot the ball to save their lives. No, they couldn't, Jordan. And one thing we know, because the, the three-point the three point arc is very new to college in, in 1984, and neither of the teams wanted to use it. Georgetown 
was focusing with their bigs. They take some middies, and they were they would miss those middies, but they got bailed out by Patrick Ewing and Graham, and they, they would just get some easy easy boards. They were feasting. Yeah, they were. And the three-pointers, let's talk about that for a second. So you obviously told me how it was pretty new at the time, and there was one point in the second half. This dude, I don't remember who it was. It was wide open to take a three-pointer. He dribbles in two dribbles and takes a jumper, which he did make. And it's just, I don't understand. Like, what is the, po- they, they were scared to shoot threes. That's really all it was. No one wanted to shoot a three-pointer. It's like coach said, you're getting benched if you shoot a three. Like, I think he like feared it into him because they were just, no one shot threes. I don't think we saw a single three-pointer all game long. And it's not even a stat on here. You're right. It just says field goals attempted, <laughs> field goal percentage. Nowhere does it say three-pointers. Let's check Georgetown just to be sure. Nope, no three-pointers. And we've got free throws, field goals. That's it. There's no three-pointers on here, which is crazy. We know how much the game has changed. But like you said, they really ran Georgetown around their big man. I mean, Patrick Ewing, for sure, did some really, really, really good things. But foul trouble early because I mentioned these refs are calling everything. That's in my notes. In all caps, Georgetown takes a 32-22 lead. Five and a half minutes to go in this game. And we see a Houston. 1-3-1, one, one. they start to change up their defense, and it worked. It really did, and it, it got – it kind of caught Georgetown off guard. I mean, they were turnovers left and right, and Houston started to get some momentum, and then what would happen is Georgetown would just kind of like – kind of just go back, and they'd kind of go on their own run, and it just kind of went back and forth. Not really lead changes or ties or anything. It was just Georgetown always always in cruise control, it felt like, and they were always staying above, staying in the lead. That's a good way to put it. Georgetown, once they took that 10-point lead, they weren't looking back, and they did everything in their power to keep the lead, except one town, or one call, I should say, that went against them. It was not even close. This call, five seconds against Georgetown, what was this? Some, I, I thought it was a travel. The far ref was signaling for a travel. And the close ref, we rewound it to watch again. He held up his hand and he said, five, five seconds, five seconds. I'd, I, he was dribbling. He moved in. The defenders went around him. And then he just stopped for a second. He was going to do something. And they called five seconds. And we rewound it, like I said. And once he got the ball, I counted. I was only at four. I, and I don't know where the five came from. I don't, I don't know what the ref was calling. The announcers, the play-by-play, color commentary guys, they, they were confused too. And I don't blame them. Nobody nobody in the arena even knew what was going on. But I, I'm assuming the ref, like you said, he must have gave a great explanation to the coach because as a coach, I would have been livid. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, they mentioned that too. They said that the coach for Georgetown, he like got talked to. They went to a break after this and like he understood and he let it go. Color commentary guy, he got hot. I mean, he had a few things in this game where he was ranting. He was not happy. And this was one of them. I, the five-second call made no sense at all. So, Hakeem, Hakeem, whatever you want to call him, he has three fouls late here in the first half. Not a good look for him as he's got to play. In, I mean, he's got to be – they've got to be safe with him, right? That's one of your biggest players. You need him down the stretch. And like we said, a lot of fouls, so a lot of free throws. And I don't know why it took this long to realize. But after his third foul, we realized they had four guys – on the free throw line shooting. So like the free throw guy was there shooting the ball, obviously. And then there was a four. I, everyone, if you've ever seen a game of basketball, you know how it's lined up. I mean, they've got the free throw shooter and then they've got three and three on each side. One defender is going to box out the one 
guy who's going to go for the offensive rebound. Same thing on the other side. And then you've got two guys to box out the shooter if you want, or one can just try and go in and get a board, or you could double team someone if you need to double them up. I mean, there's plenty of options. But in this, they had players under the block. They had four players for each team. So there was only one guy sitting at the top, back at the half court line. This looked ridiculous. It didn't even look right. Yeah, it didn't look like anything we're, we're used to seeing. And there's a few things in this game that, like, it's something you wouldn't see from 37 years later, Jordan. This was this was an all-time stuff. It, it really was. And, like, it just looks so weird. I mean, we're used to three-pointers being thrown. We're used to people getting away with travels. We're used to three seconds not being a call. We're used to all these things. And for them to go so far backwards in this game, absolutely crazy. First half. Only half an hour, so first half kind of flew by. High scoring, too. Georgetown leads 40-30. to 30. And then second half starts. Hakeem gets his fourth foul within the first two minutes. I mean, it was right away. They smartly put him on the bench, and Drew, I said, put him on the bench for 10 minutes, and they kind of did because that's what they had to do. Yeah, they had to, and that's really when Georgetown took advantage. Guys like Michael Graham and Reggie Williams really were able to get their way in the paint, and then Ewing was in – gotten some foul trouble too but like they were really able to the georgetown bigs off the bench they were really able to just like get what they wanted they were able to get some points get some offensive rebounds and that was a big turnaround this game alvin franklin really stepped up for this houston team something we have to say he finished the night with 21 points we'll give all the scores at the end here but after the fourth foul you know a few minutes pass by here it is the technical foul the technical foul called in this game makes absolutely zero sense. I'm going to set the stage and try and explain it the best I can. So player for Georgetown goes up, misses a shot. They try and get the offensive rebound, the big man, and he's just going to put it back down. He's going to slam it in and he grabs the ball, puts it down, barely touches the rim. And I mean, barely touches the rim as this ball goes in. And all of a sudden, well, I should also say there was a foul called on the shot that went in. It was an and one. So, Georgetown ends up getting a free throw. However, a technical foul was called against Georgetown for quote unquote hanging on the rim, I guess, pulling the rim down. So then Houston gets two free throws. This is something you have to see to believe because I don't understand for the life of me what the refs were looking at. And we saw a bunch of replays from the same angle over and over. Dude didn't even touch the rim. Yeah, it was a really bad call color commentary guy like you mentioned he's ripping at he was ripping at the refs for this one and the crowd was booing and it was just something you don't call in a championship game you don't call that and it it wasn't even something you call a regular season game it was it was a really ticky tacky technical fouls and i don't even know if it's a thing and that's what it was (laughs) it's a mouthful ticky tacky technical foul but it it was to say the least please go watch it i mean you just got to go in the second half and oh not good not good at all that i mean we knew the refs were bad, but at that point, that solidifies it. Like, these were absolutely terrible. So, like I said, Franklin, Elvin Franklin, Elvin Franklin, easy for me to say. He did very well. Nine points to start the second half. He was doing hot with Akeem on the bench. And then hurt his left knee. He kind of went down after a shot. What would have been a flagrant nowadays in the NBA. It was no call at the time. He went down. I think he was back in after the break, though. I don't think it was really anything too bad. 8-10 to go. We'll set the stage. Georgetown leads 61-56, so pretty close game at this point. And finally, 
finally Patrick Ewing gets on the board in the second half. He had three fumbles for a majority of the half, so maybe he was playing a little safe. Finally gets his first points of the second half, and that's 14 minutes in, so he really wasn't a factor. Like Drew said, other players for Georgetown were stepping up, and now 2.16 to go. They lead 74-68, big Georgetown lead, and Drew, the charge call. You remember that? Want to talk about it? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, um, was it was it against Georgetown? It or? was, yeah. Yeah, so a, a Houston player was dribbling up? No, a Georgetown so, player, okay, yeah. yeah. So a Georgetown player was dribbling up the court, and a Houston player tried to cut him off, was not set whatsoever. He's just moving left and right with him, and then he finally just decided to fall, and, and that, that's basically what happened. I don't know how else to explain it, and guy wasn't set. It was something you would – it was an easy block call in today's NBA, I swear, and it's just – and right away, the ref's like, nope, 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 go the other way. <laughs> it's not like the Georgetown player even dove in with his shoulder either. I mean, he just barely touched him. Same with the rim situation. They called a charge. Terrible, terrible, terrible referees. Terrible second half. Final five minutes took a very long time. I mean, the second half took an hour. So it was very, very long to end the game after the charge. There's 70 seconds left. Four Houston players have four fouls. So, I mean, they're they're kind of screwed. I mean, they're down big. Four guys in foul trouble, and that's about it. Minute left, Georgetown up by eight. Houston has nothing left to show for it. Anything you want to mention about these teams' offenses, though? I mean, just the mid-range for Georgetown was terrible. They had to keep themselves alive in the paint. Yeah, they really did. And it was just all these offensive rebounds that they were able to garnish throughout the game. They were able to just have their way in the paint, like we've mentioned. They had a couple nice lobs. Michael Graham was catching catching some really nice lobs. Ewing did a really great job in the post, I thought. Even though he only finished the game with 10 points, we really saw him as a playmaker. He made some excellent touch passes, we both noticed. And he just was really able to – he just knew where everyone was on the court, and it was just kind of – it was really great to see that. Yeah, more of in the first half than the second, you saw a lot of it where they would get it inside to him, and he would either go up real quick or a little touch pass to the outside. But either way, Ewing – Finishes the game with 10 points. Like Drew said, nine rebounds. He led the way for the team. Reggie Williams had seven rebounds in the game. Leading scorer off the bench. Reggie Williams, 19 points. Really did a good job. He was nine of 18 from the field. I didn't realize he shot that many times. David Wingate, 16 points, 14 for Michael Graham. So the two bench players, two two bench players had two of the top three scorers for Georgetown, which is crazy in a championship game, but shows how much depth they really have. Michael Jackson, no, not that Michael Jackson. He has 11 points and then 10 for Patrick Ewing to round things off for their top scorers. Houston, Alvin Franklin, who had a huge second half, 21 points on the night, 18 for Michael Young. Hakeem Olajuwon, 15 points. Drew, did you want to touch on Michael Young real quick? His brother, what we learned about him? Yeah, we learned something during the game even. That, that's the nice thing about watching these broadcasts. You, you learn something new and... Michael Young, his brother died supposedly a few nights before this game, so it was a really uh, an emotional game for Michael Young. And I'm he played. I thought he played very well, and I'm I, he shot eight for twenty one. That's not not horrible, but I'm just great to great. He could kind of have a great game to have a tribute for his brother. I don't know. Was, yeah, he made he made the best of it. I mean, we know he went on to get drafted in the first round, but I mean, his brother got shot. Like that's that's some serious business. That's crazy. Going into a game like this, Hakeem, I, I think I said 15 points on the night, nine rebounds led the way. Hakeem was not a good free throw shooter. You want to talk about a modern day Giannis. I mean, three of seven from the line, 
just wasn't good. Yeah, he shot 53% for the season, Jordan, and he shot under that average tonight with a 40, 43% outing here. So that's always something. And even when he shoots it, they were they weren't they were not competitive misses. They really weren't. It was just it was off really far left, off really far right. One that was really short. It was just he was missing everywhere. Yeah, he kind of just threw him up there too. Like whatever happens, happens. And I think he got his offensive rebound one of them, maybe, but I don't know. It just wasn't a good night for him. We also learned he followed out of the first eight games of the year. Like he was aggressive. And I think that they were like finally like, hey, tone it down, tone it down. We really don't need this. And that was that was it for um, I mean, a pretty solid night, but just not the best, certainly. Would have expected better from him in a big time situation. Only putting up ten points, but he had to show for him. All American team. Drew's going to read these to wrap things up here. Consensus first team. Maybe mention a few names from the second, but the first team pretty stacked. Oh yes, it was Jordan. We got some big names here. Patrick Ewing, a junior center from Georgetown. Michael Jordan, a junior guard from North Carolina. Akima Lajuan, a junior from Houston. Sam Perkins, then a, a forward, a senior from North Carolina. So there's two first-team All-Americans for North Carolina. And then the final one, Wayman Tisdale, a sophomore from Oklahoma. And then for second team, I'm going to read some bigger names. We got Chris Mullen, a junior from St. John's. We got Devin Durant, not Kevin, but Devin, a senior from Brigham Young. And then we got Michael Cage, a senior forward from San Diego State. I'm not going to lie, I kind of did read that as Kevin Durant at first. I mean, it's just you see the name Durant, and that's what you look for. Major Player of the Year awards, Wooden Award, Naismith Award, Associated Press Player of the Year, UPI Player of the Year, NABC Player of the Year, Oscar Robertson Trophy, Adolph Roof Trophy, and the Sporting News Player of the Year. Michael Jordan wins every single one of them. I mean, you want to talk about domination. That is exactly what he did. So that wraps it up. A relatively uneventful second half in Houston and Georgetown nothing too much to talk about in it I mean we you we liked watching the first half you know getting into the game the crowd was electric compared to that Super Bowl we watched where the you know you couldn't really hear the crowd they weren't mic'd up well I told you I mean I think it's because this was basketball it was indoors I mean even though it was in like what was it the Sky Dome I think it was called the Kingdom Kingdom yes that's what it was the almost 40,000 people they were loud they let you hear it. I mean, I got really annoyed by the airball chant after everyone was shooting free throws. Little annoying. I thought they were just doing it for Akeem, which made sense because he's not a good free throw shooter. But no, they did it for everyone. So that's that. Next week, episode six, we have left it up to you guys. So if you didn't see on Monday, we released a poll on our Instagram deciding the World Series drew. Which two were up again? Was it 2001 and 86? Was that the two? The two candidates? Yes, they are, Jordan. The 2001 World Series, Diamondbacks versus Yankees. And the 1986 World Series, Mets versus Red Sox. So go vote on the Instagram. We need your opinions. And we want to watch a great game. Yeah. How long are Instagram polls? Are they only a day? We'll do them a day, but we'll pin it on our on our uh, profile so you can find it smart smart i mean yeah we're full disclosure we recorded this thursday night basically a week in advance this is the night after game one of bucks and nets i was or bucks and hawks i wasn't even sure if i was going to have a voice for this but thankfully we got it done it's in the books we watched the game very enjoyable very good business meeting in the basement of the skyberg household i mean things are looking good for the podcast moving forward can't wait for next week world series our second one if you haven't seen Braves and Twins or listened to that, got to do it. Go back, get that thing done. And the key to picking these World Series games, my my two criterias, 
has to be under three hours and it has to be like a relatively decent game in good picture because I mean I looked if we would have done 65 oh boy that was going to be bad I mean it was hard enough to watch like a basketball game like this where they don't even put the score up every time I don't know how many times we were like what's the score what's the score like we were just confused yeah and even well there's no shot clock here but like even when there's like a shot clock, we want to kind of see the see the clock and it's just it's sometimes even frustrating like we want to know the score and that's we want to know the time we want to know a lot of things and when the broadcast doesn't give it to us, I mean, it's, it's kind of annoying. And that was another thing with the announcers, too. They didn't really help us either. I mean, I think they said the score a few times before, like, a break, and that was it. I mean, it's just very – not good announcers in this game, but I can't really say too many bad things about them because I'm not at that level yet. And once I'm there, I feel like then I can critique them. Then it's a little more fair. But that wraps it up. Our 84 championship March Madness tournament, Georgetown beats Houston – to win the tournament drew where can the people find you they can find me on instagram drew skyberg d-r-e-w-s-k-y-b-e-r-g if you haven't noticed i don't plug all of our stuff until the end of the summer sports spectacular i feel like that's more of you know a weekly podcast thing to get it all out of the way at first this we get right into it talk all both things so we're on youtube Jordan and Drew, the sports crew on there. Follow us on Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star reviews. Instagram, Jordan Drew underscore sports crew. Keeping us over 50 followers. Thank you all very, very much. If you bought a t-shirt, we shouted you out on episode 16 this week. We said the name of every single person who bought a shirt. Can't thank you all enough for your support. I'm on Twitter, Jordan Law underscore PXP. I'm back over 40 followers. I'm at 41 now. So we got money back up there. Very, very thankful for that. And thank you all for listening to Jordan and Drew, the sports crew, the summer sports spectacular, the perfect podcast for you.